It's interesting when Dave was asking how long we've been here, and I've always joked that ministry years are like dog years, and so like one equals seven, and so seven months equals, I don't know, a couple of years. But part of that is because it's four years. Yeah, thanks. I, I needed help with the math, so I need a lot of help in a lot of areas. So let me move this up here a little bit. There's, the crowd seems to be back a ways this morning. I'm not sure. Jerry, I can always count on you being right there to hold me to it. But um, part of it is one of the greatest assets that you are at point where it has is the welcoming part of you and, and welcoming people into the family, even though some of us are from New England and outside and other places, but um, that's been part of the transition. And so it's been a blessing to be here, and I do feel appreciated. And thank you for praying for our PJ and I this morning. Uh, really do appreciate that. Dave, you said you've been in, in Francis Chan has been nine weeks into James. And we must be almost in the same spot because I'm almost nine weeks into James. So uh, four, one through 12. Okay. So he's, he's going to take longer than I am. I think I'm, I'm working through it maybe a little bit quicker, although I feel like I've been working through it slowly, not going too fast, but also trying to, to camp out on those areas that are important. And as you know, and one of the things that I want to make clear is when we do, when I do preach and when we do take this time, my hope and my prayer is that you'll not only just hear God's word, but you'll take something from it that you can apply to your life. That's really my, my, my one and simple goal is that I stay faithful to the word, but that I give you something that you can apply to your life. It's the same for me as well. I want to be able to apply the scriptures. It's one thing to have head knowledge, but if I can't make that work in my daily life, then I don't say what good is it, but it's not as much good as it can, or God will not be as powerful in my life if I do. And so, we're going to kind of do a little bit of review. And at the beginning, I told you the review as we worked through James this morning. Because if you remember way back at the beginning, I told you that James likes to loop back, right? This letter was written, written all at once, but he refers back to things and he kind of builds as he goes along. And so it's important to have those building blocks as we go. So in James chapter one, we talked right about the beginning about trials, right? And where do trials come from? God, you guys are good. You guys are right on that now because we've been doing it for a number of weeks, but it's still, it's good to remember where do trials come from? What about temptation? Where does temptation come from? Yeah, from Satan, the devil, right? And then our consequences, a lot of times we don't need the devil to tempt us. We just go out and sin on our own. We just do it to ourselves. We also looked in the second part of it about how important our, our words are, right? We looked at how it's important to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I don't know about you, but that lesson comes up almost weekly, sometimes daily in my interactions with people. Being quick to listen. Listen, hear that person out. Be slow to, to respond. In fact, we were actually even having that conversation just in a pastor's group this week about responding, how we respond to things. And quite often, especially now where we have social media, you know, you see a post or something that upsets you. How do you respond to that? And you know what? I've learned a little bit, and I'm still learning, that you know what? I need to slow that down, really pray about it. And you know, sometimes I don't even need to respond. I can let it go, knowing where that person's at. But if I do respond, respond not out of my emotions, but out of wisdom or using God's word. And so response is important. Right? We also looked in, in chapter 3 a little bit about the tongue, right? tongue, right? Taming the tongue, our words, it kind of goes hand in hand with that, right? Being slow to speak involves 
being careful what we do with our mouth. We also learned how important it is that we have to be careful that we praise God, and we do. We did this morning. We were worshiping God and praising God. But if we're cursing men and cursing our brothers and sister, guess what? That doesn't match. It doesn't work. The two can't be. It shouldn't be, James says. We also talked a little bit in chapter 2 about favoritism, right? Remember, Tony was my favorite elder for all of one week. No, not even that long. <laughs> but favoritism and the problems that that causes, right? When we favor someone over someone else, it creates hurt feelings. It's unfair. It excludes people. Like I said, this is one of the great benefits of this body here at Pointway is that we are inclusive. When people come in, hopefully they feel welcomed and they feel part of the family right from the beginning, then we got into, again, being submissive to tongues. We talked about wisdom. Chapter 4, we talked about being submissive. Being submissive to God, right? And that involves being submissive to each other. Giving way, not fighting, not quarreling. The other thing that, you've, if you've noticed, there are little nuggets along the way. Remember, I, I highlighted that little nugget about coming near to Jesus, right? The fact that if we come near, Jesus is right there. He actually comes near to us. He doesn't make us come all the way back when we stray away from God and our relationship with him. He wants that relationship so much that if we just start to come near him, he draws near to us. That's one of those nuggets that was in chapter four. And also I noticed, because I do on Facebook from time to time, a lot of you quoted this one um, just, I think last week or the week before, but verse 17 that said, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins, right? And again, that had broad implications, right? That can go a lot long ways. Again, it's not always, it becomes a sin issue, but sometimes we have choices that we make and decisions. And sometimes God wants the best for us, but we fall short of that. We just take what's good. And so we need that wisdom. We need to rely upon God. And so that brings us to chapter five. And yes, we are in chapter five this morning. So we're not going to do all of chapter five. We're going to do about half of it all in one, one swoop this morning, but half of it will, will give us plenty to take out in practice. And you're going to hear that looping back. And so all those things that we've just mentioned about highlighting those chapters is going to come to the forefront when James is speaking here. And again, he's going to go a little bit of Old Testament in some of this. But again, Jewish believers, and at the time, this is going to it's going to ring true for them, but we can also glean from it as well because, again, we should know some of those stories. And he starts off in chapter 5 by saying, now listen, right? Wake up. Oh, she's all the way in the back this morning. Wake up. Right? He's, he's calling attention. Wake up. And again, he's addressing the rich people. He says, you rich people, you should weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and the moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you have failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord. You've lived on, luxury, on this earth in luxury and in indulgence. You fattened yourselves on the day of slaughter. You condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Now, some of you may be saying, wait a minute, Charlie, didn't you touch on that last week? And I did touch on that last week a little bit, right? We did actually start into chapter 5 a little bit. 
Bryce is going back there going, yeah, hey, maybe Pastor Charlie's losing it a little bit. Maybe he's slipping in his mind. But no, hopefully not. But we looked at it from the perspective of the rich people, right? And James is certainly calling out the rich. And he's calling out the rich people because they've hoarded up not only wealth, but they've hoarded it at the expense of the poor, right? They've, they've taken and built their wealth on not paying their workers. We talked about how important. And so, see, for when you're working at a daily wage for your daily bread, and so if you didn't get paid, you most likely didn't eat. It's not like we are now where we have refrigerators and most of us, you know, we can go a day or two without pay and we would be all right. But when you're living day by day and you're just barely making it, that's very important then to get paid and have that daily bread. Again, we mentioned that money itself is not the root. It's not evil, right? It's the love of money. It's the value that we put on it. In fact, James addresses not only just the having the money, but the hoarding of it. So if you think about it, James is saying that's where the problem is. It's really not about the money. It's about the heart, the heart issue. The rich are, are so intent on gaining money that they're willing to step on people to do it, but they're actually hoarding it up, holding on to it so tightly, they're not doing anything good with it, but it's becoming their security. It's becoming an idol for them. And so James calls them out. And again, this letter is written to believers, so there were most likely some of these folks in his congregations, in these places of worship. You say, wow, that, that doesn't happen. You know, Pastor Charlie, I, I don't have much money. I'm, 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 I'm barely making it now. You know what I've found through the years? That it doesn't really matter you on getting more, and you can think that you're not doing well, but if you have that value on getting money, it doesn't need to be a lot of money. Some folks that are very poor by wealth standards still put that value on money. They're just as much chasing that idol as someone who has a lot. Again, the money's not the evil part. It's the value that we put on it. I liked it. We had a, a DS at one point, and he was kind of the grandfather figure. And he was like that, 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 that person you just love to sit around and be with. And he was very soft-spoken. But he always would remind us, especially as pastors in our, our churches, to be, have the spirit of generosity, to be always willing to, to give, not to hold on so tightly. Sometimes God calls us to give money to either missions, you know, I love the fact the missions committee's made a decision, hey, we can't serve there directly right now, but right now we're going to give financially to the food pantry. That's one way of, of giving. And, and again, you could come up with all sorts of reasons of why not to, but a spirit of generosity says, you know what, if this is what God's called us to do, this is an area that we see that we want to reach into, then let's first put some financial towards it. And God does that from time to time. And I think he does it from time to time to soften our hearts to it, or to make sure that we're not clinging too closely to money. Again, these believers in, in James would have remembered the story of Ananias and Sapphira. You can look at it in Acts, remember? God called them to sell a piece of land. And so they did. They, they were faithful, they were obedient, they sold the land, and they went and put it at Peter's feet, right? Problem is, the heart condition was wrong, and they held back some of the money. And God didn't say to give them only partial. God said, give it all, give it all to them. Now, at that point, because it's the early church, he judged them very harshly. 
struck him dead. First the husband and then the wife came in and she had the same heart problem. She says, oh, no, we've, we've given it all. She didn't even know that her husband had passed away yet and God strikes her down as well. So again, God takes it very seriously about how we handle our money and how we handle the resources that he's given us. Now I said we, we talked about this section and I've expanded a little bit, but there's another side to this as well, right? James is calling out the rich but what about those that are in his church that are being afflicted by the rich, right? The people that are being abused, right? There's, there's more than one side to this problem, especially in this church. And so he then addresses those who are the brothers and sisters who are being taken advantage of. Again, they're not the one that's hoarding wealth. They, they don't have wealth. In verse 7, he's crying out. They're, they're without. They're, they're in need. Interesting, in verse 7, he says, Be patient, then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Interesting, be patient. You know, if someone owes you money, or owes you a lot of money, do you really want to be patient in your flesh? No, right? I, if someone owes me something, I, especially if I deserve it, I've done the work, I, I, I kind of want it. I remember working for UPS, I was a manager, and we used to be in charge of passing out paychecks. And believe me, a bunch of young college men, if you didn't give them their checks on Thursday, because they were supposed to get their checks on Thursday, if for some reason they got hung up and they didn't get there till Friday, you had some angry people. They demanded, really, they wanted their check. They were ready to have my head, and I, again, I was just the messenger, it didn't matter. That's how the world thinks. You know, if you owe me, I want it now. Instant gratification. Right? If I purchase something, I, want, I expect to get the item. And a gentleman come and do some work on my, my washing. He expected to get paid, he, and he did. But that's an, an expectation that is common. But to be patient, that's a, hard, that's a hard lesson to learn. Again, that's what James is calling them. Be patient. Interesting, though, he doesn't leave them with just be patient because this is what God says. He says, until the Lord's coming. See what he's doing there? He's changing the perspective, right? We talked about perspectives a little while back, about how important perspective is. This perspective is, again, think of in bigger terms, think about when the Lord's coming again. Maybe that blessing's not going to come now. Maybe you aren't going to get what you want right now. Maybe you're not going to get what you even deserve right now. You're going to have to wait, but the Lord is coming. There's something greater in the future. Again, he's lifting that from the physical to the spiritual. Then he uses this illustration again with this community, agriculture, we get this. He says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Right? So he's saying, be patient, just like the farmer. Sometimes you do things, you sow, you do the hard work, but you've got to wait for it. It's going to take time. And again, if you think about it in the spiritual realm, sometimes when we invest in people or we're praying for someone to come to the Lord, right? We may share the gospel over and over, and they just may not be there yet. And we have to be patient with that. Be faithful. Our timing is not the same as God's timing. And so he's saying, be patient. He's taking it to that next level. And again, sometimes we do a lot more planting than we ever do of sowing. 
We're not going to see it. Again, he's pointing to that future. And sometimes I think we, we sometimes forget that the Lord is coming, right? The early believers believed that it was going to happen within their lifetime. It was going to happen at any moment. And so there was a more of an urgency. Maybe it's because they were under persecution, or maybe it's because they just really had that deep faith where they said, you know what, God's coming soon. Don't lose that perspective because, again, it helps us in our understanding. It helps us in our interaction with others if we realize it's near. Then this next sentence is kind of interesting, but he puts it in there and he says, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. See what I mean about looping back, right? James already talked about judging, right? And, and do you remember who's the perfect judge? Yeah, Jesus, right? And why is he the perfect judge? What? I can, you can speak up a little bit. My hearing's not that good. What? He's been tempted, all right? He's been tempted, but, but why is he the perfect judge for us? What, what does he have that we don't have? What's that? He's perfect, all right? But he also has the ability to see hearts, right? He sees the heart. He knows the motivation. We, we only can see the outside, and we only get glimpses, really, of people. And so that's why Jesus is the perfect judge. And he mentions that in, in chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. Again, he was addressing another problem in the church. He was addressing slander. In fact, I'll read those verses for you. It says, Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone speaks against his brother and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Right? And we spent some time on that, about, about how we're not qualified to judge, and we don't have the, the tools to do it with. And so James is reminding them that. Again, because it's causing problems. It's causing grumbling. It's kind of a nice word, right? Grumbling. Grumbling is just complaining, slander. It's kind of, it could be the big ball that you'd have to unravel, but it's not a nice thing. And again, it's causing dissension. It's causing problems within the church body. And again, James is saying, hey, leave the judging to the one who's perfect, to the Lord. He's the one that'll make the judgment. Then back to patience again, right? He's not, not leaving that theme of patience. His brother is an example of patience. In the face of suffering, take the prophet's who spoke in the name of the Lord. All right? Prophets. Now, he just says prophets. Could have been any prophet. But if you think about it, any prophet in Israel's history had to endure patience. Think of the role of the prophet. The role of the prophet was to tell God's people, usually of impending doom. Like, hey, nation of Israel, you're off track. And if you don't get on track, you don't come back to God, God's going to destroy you. He's going to discipline you severely. Think about how hard that is, right? We talk about being patient with someone, but you, you, you know what's coming. You know the train that's coming down the tracks, and you're telling them, get out of the way, get out of the way, you're going the wrong direction. How frustrating that can be, and guess what? They don't listen. And you tell them again, and they don't listen, right? It's hard. It's hard to do. It's hard to watch, Many of you probably can think of people in your lives that you've watched train wreck their lives. 
Maybe it's due to addiction or through bad decisions. And you watch that happening and you know the outcome if they keep going that. And you can tell them till you're blue in the face and guess what? They continue to do that. The key is being patient with them to be there for them when they do fall. And that can be hard to do. And again, that's a, another lesson, but he's saying be patient. That's what the prophets had to endure. They knew the outcome and they knew how to stop it from happening, but the people wouldn't listen. They just kept going. So again, they had to show faithfulness and patience, not only with the people, but with God as well. And so when he puts that in there, again, this would have rang true with, they would have understood that immediately. Oh yeah, the prophets had to suffer that. And really pick any of the prophets and you can see that. Impending doom, yet they're not listening. Next verse says, as you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So again, he gives them a great example, right? Job. Again, if you haven't read Job in a while, you don't know the story, I'd encourage you to go back to the Old Testament. It's a long book, but it's a great book. He has some friends that kind of are not the greatest, although I give his friends a little bit of a break because at least they came and they spent time with him in his time of need. They just gave him that advice. Remember, Job, through no circumstance of his own, found himself in a very, very deep trial. Again, it was a trial, right? God allowed Satan to do this in his life, to take away things, to, to cause infliction upon him. Yet God persevered through it. Job persevered in his faith with, with God. And in the end, Job gets blessed. And though he lost much in the beginning, he ends up gaining more, actually in, in most cases, double what he had in the beginning. God rewarded him for his faithfulness. Not that Job got it all right. Again, Job's not the, 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 the model here, but the, the perseverance of his faith is. And so they know this story of Job. And so Job is an example that James uses here. I love what he says, and don't miss this last sentence. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Passion and mercy. Those are two things that, that go together, but they can be very difficult to do. Right? I mean, I used to joke with our, our kids when we were raising them, if you want compassion and mercy, go see mom. Right? Mom is the one that had the compassion and the mercy. Dad was the discipline, the, the hard nose, and, and our kids, you know, they knew who to go ask if they really wanted something. They'd go ask mom, because mom had a better chance of being a little more compassionate, a little more mercy on them. But again, as I've grown in, in parenting, that was their view, you know, learn to have both of those. But they go hand in hand. And again, the Lord has that as a perfect judge. He doesn't do it unfairly. And if we want, and he doesn't do it once in a while, he does it all the time. And again, if we want to be like Christ, we need to work on those things as well, to be compassionate and mercy. Again, there's a whole study we could do on those two things. Maybe that would be a good study for you this week, but look up compassion and mercy and what that means and how that plays out in your life. How do you, how do you be compassionate with someone? How do you give them mercy when they've done something wrong to you? And then lastly, verse 12. Above all, my brothers, do not swear by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. 
or you will be condemned. The same words that Jesus actually spoke as part of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's interesting. Our words matter. And again, this harkens back to chapter 3, right? We talked about taming the tongue and how important it is to praise, but even how we give our word and, and what we say we're going to do. And certainly he was calling upon the rich oppressors here, right? People have worked for you. You've committed to paying for them. You need to pay for them. Your yes be yes, right? If you weren't going to pay for them, you should have said no and not hired them from the beginning. But our, our word is important, and these are integrity things in what we say. Our yes be yes and our no be no. I always kind of chuckle when people come to me and say, but, but honestly, pastor, honestly, pastor, or hey, I'm telling you the truth. Usually when they're saying those things, you know what goes in my mind? My mind is like, so the rest of the time you're not telling me the truth? <laughs> right? That's just how my mind works, but that's what I'm thinking. Like, so which times are you? Is it only when you tell me you're telling me the truth or the rest of the time? Is this really true? And so James is that warning here, but he is also warning about swearing upon. Again, I've even heard this said by, by folks, both brothers and sisters, but also those from the outside world. Well, I, I swear upon my, my mother's grave, or I swear upon my kid's life, as if that's going to have some greater importance. James says, don't do that. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Sounds like simple advice, but man, how hard is that to do sometimes? Right? You know, you, you, have you ever invited someone to something and they give you, they don't want to say yes, they don't want to say no, they give you the, the maybe. Right? Isn't that frustrating? Maybe. What, is that, what does maybe mean? And, and for some folks, maybe really means no, because they really, they just don't want to be, they, they want to be kind to you, so they say maybe. Um, or you have to try to figure it out. Or maybe might be yes if nothing else comes up. Instead of just saying, you know what, no, we can't make it. We're going to be busy, right? That's one of those frustrations. I'm just sharing that one. There are other times that, but again, it's integrity, right? If you say you're going to be there or to do something, let your yes be yes. And if, again, I understand there are exceptions. There are times when it's not possible to keep your word, but man, that should be an exception to the exception. And if you don't think you can do it, just say no. It's a lot easier to deal with. I kind of like it because it's one of those black and white things. It's kind of easy. Maybe I have a hard time with, right? Well, maybe I'm going to be there, or maybe I can help out with this. Is that a yes, no? All right, and again, how do you count on that? You don't. makes it difficult. Think about how many things could be saved in, in arguments and how many times conflict could be resolved if you just kept it to yes and no. Nowhere in between. But he says, you'll be condemned, right? So if you say yes and, and you really mean no, it's judgment there. It's wrong. It kind of goes back to if you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, it's sin. And that's what he's saying here. It's a serious issue. Again, condemned means that you have fallen short of what God has asked and you're condemned. You're guilty. You're guilty of sinning, guilty of breaking the law. And so it's important here. And Again, it's one of those nuggets that James throws in here. But in context, again, those that were being convicted about not paying their wages, also maybe those who were being convicted about not being paid, and they were starting to grumble against those oppressors. They weren't being patient. Or maybe they were valuing that money 
or that object more than they should. They made it an idol. So there's a lot to take away from this morning, a lot to think about. Not just the yes and the no's, but also where do you fall? How do you value money? Are you described as someone who's generous with it? Or do you put a lot of stock in it? Do you hold on to it too tightly? Or maybe you're someone that you owe someone something and you've been holding back. You haven't given it to them. Maybe God's called you to, to give and you've just not done it yet. So man, that would encourage you that way. How about being patient with one another? Showing compassion and mercy. Maybe there's someone that you handled a situation that you are not compassionate. Right? I think we all need to work on that, being compassionate and merciful. And certainly keeping our word. So may God help you this week. Maybe it bring to mind, maybe give you some examples or some opportunities to put this into practice. And remember, it's nothing new. It's something that's been going on for a long time. Since the prophets, Job, one of the first books of the Bible, you know, it goes back to that, that time period. It's been a long-standing problem. But be patient, especially with one another, as God is patient with us. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would just continue to use your word to soften our hearts. Lord, may your word cut to those areas in our lives that we are, are not submitting to you. But help us to conform to your will, that we listen to you and you alone. Lord, that we would become more and more like you, and that our relationship would continue to grow. That would go deeper. And that we can apply your word to our lives, and not only for our own benefit, Lord, but for those around us and to our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially to a lost and dying world that has no idea that you are coming soon. Lord, we look forward to that day. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.